0: Hey there, this is Andy Baker, and you're listening to the Baker's Dozen Podcast, where I serve up analysis of current TV series from the perspective of a development executive and screenwriter, and I do so 13 bites at a time. This is FetCast number one, where I deep dive into episode one of the book of Boba Fett, Stranger in a Strange Land. All right, so before I get uh, right into the analysis, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background for those of you who haven't been listening to my Wheel of Time podcasts and specifically background when it comes to me and Star Wars. I'm not upset, although I really enjoyed The Mandalorian. I watched Rebels and Clone Wars. I've obviously watched all of the movies. I am old school in that I like the original trilogy. I'd like to pretend the prequels don't exist. The more recent move, I actually liked Rogue One, but the recent trilogy I struggle with. There are things to like, things not to like. Anyway, so that's where I am when it comes to Star Wars. Very much enjoy the universe. I've even read some of the books, believe it or not, and I play the video games. So um very well versed, but it's not, uh, I'm not going to be... You know, fighting over little details about the depiction of certain alien races or whatever. I don't go that deep. Also, to keep in mind when it comes to this show, it's very script-centric. Like I said, I'm a development executive and a screenwriter. And so when I look at a show, I am making observations and raising questions uh, about the story, usually framed around what I would have brought up if I were in on the development process. I'll look at what I notice about the storytelling, about what they're doing, uh, why they're doing it where it might be going and ultimately, hopefully share with you and to get you to think critically and analytically about the television you're watching there is an art and an artifice to telling stories on a screen and i'm fascinated with how those stories are told and telling them myself and helping with that process and so i like sharing that with those of you who are listening some insight into the book of boba fett and other shows like it so i have a general rule podcast really shouldn't be any longer than the show that they're covering and so this is going to be 40 minutes top so I, I am a little bit, got a little bit long-winded already, so I'm just going to jump right in. Let's go to point number one. one. One, The Book of Boba Fett not being burdened with general world-building. So there's the world of your story, and then there's the universe that it exists in. And when you make a show like The Book of Boba Fett, we know the Star Wars universe, and you're assuming that the general audience that is watching your show on Disney+, Plus is generally steeped in the star wars universe narrative collective narrative and you don't have to spend a lot of time explaining everything people come in with that built-in knowledge of the rules of this world and the fact that this story is happening around the time of return of the jedi when boba fett ends up falling into the sarlacc pit People are aware of that part of the storyline, and there's some, again, built-in world-building already where you can use shorthand to explain what kind of story you're telling. Don't need a lot of work to be done to explain all of that. You do need to explain the differences of your story world. Why, and obviously, the beginning of the episode, having to show how he's able to survive and get out of the Sarlacc pit, and then it's not the only version of that story that they've told over the years. There have been graphic novels and whatnot which have looked at it I heard about one, I haven't read it, which sounds endlessly fascinating to me that he is, Boba Fett is inside the Sarlacc and ends up communicating with it telepathically and ends up getting out, I guess, because of the conversation. But that sounds really intriguing to me. Obviously not what they did here. Anyway, we're going to go into this with questions like, how is Boba Fett taking over Jabba's empire? And, and you need to explain those differences, but you're not going to have to explain, as opposed to a show like Wheel of Time, okay, who are these characters in relation to one another and the use of magic in the world and all of that. Again, people come to the Star Wars universe with a bunch of built-in information. It makes it a little bit easier to tell your story. That said, you are also burdened by that history, that everything has a weight to it. I'm sure I am not the only one. When you get a glimpse of that house on Tatooine, when there are the alien raiders and you immediately say is that uncle owen's place we even have an old man who's stumbling on the steps and we know that when luke returns back to his house that you see a charred skeleton and so you you're automatically being taken to that place story-wise even though obviously that's not what it is but everything is burdened with that weight of that history and our awareness and so there's all of these rules like it's you you're not able to break a lot of ground and people are going to hold you to account when it comes to how you're exploring this world. It needs to be consistent within that. So again, it's really helpful to have a lot of the world building done for you, but you're also confined by it. So it's always interesting to see whenever we enter into the Star Wars universe, how they handle those tensions. All right. With that in mind, we're going to go on to number two. 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 Parallel storylines. So The structure of the show, at least in the pilot episode, but presumably moving forward, we have the two storylines. We have not just a summary of Boba Fett's backstory, but an exploration of it. And enough is built into that, that we're going to have seemingly two parallel storylines, which are going to converge later and certainly have points of overlap. And so we're looking at first Boba Fett, how did he get to this point? And whenever you have parallel stories, both sides have to have some problems for them to deal with. So you end up having this very strong duality when it comes to what you're going to see every episode and. So you have to give business to both sides. And so the problems to deal with in the past, obviously we're seeing Boba Fett have to deal with the Tusken Raiders and we know that he has lost his armor. He's going to have to get that armor back and you're going to have other issues like those uh, people who were raiding not Uncle Owen's house. So we're going to, these are problems that we're going to have to deal with there moving forward. And then we're also seeing where he is now, which is right at this moment where Jabba the Hutt has been replaced and Bib Fortuna replaced Jabba the Hutt and now we have uh, Boba Fett stepping in and taking things over and so it's an interesting moment where he has to go around and he has to announce to the world that I'm in charge of this thing we have to introduce other problems for him to deal with so not only taking over the empire and meeting these people it's new eyes into this world which is always something we're looking for in a story He's meeting people for the first time, as are we, and so we should—his, not naivete, it's not the right word, but he's as new to these relationships as we are, and so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But obviously the problem that they are introducing here is this idea of the mayor who is—you wonder, clearly they need to connect the threads between the two storylines. Is the mayor somebody who is connected? Did he rise to his power because of those raiders who were, I don't keep wanting to say raiders, but obviously there's Tuscan raiders and then there's the people who attacked the old man at his house. And I'm talking about those people who attacked the old man. Those people, they're actually aliens, the Nikto. That perhaps that's the overlap here, that the mayor rose to power onto the back of people like that. Anyway, so... It'll be fascinating to see these two parallel storylines and how they play off of one another. And clearly, we're going to borrow on, okay, if the mayor's going to be the current threat, then on the other side, we see Boba Fett and his time with the Tusken Raiders. Is there going to be a clash, and are the Tusken Raiders going to be on his side? That's going to be something interesting to pay attention to as we move forward. The one thing, two storylines, it's not my preferred kind of story because it can really slow things down, particularly when it's split as evenly as these two. And I think, at least in the pilot, as we move forward in episodes, chances are the backstory piece will fade a little bit and we'll focus more on the present day and wonder about how it's going to be airlifted, you know, the backstory into the present story. But it's always that danger where it's, okay, you end up giving these two storylines and your audience is going to be more invested in one than the other and it's just when they're really interested in the story moving forward suddenly they're going to go back to the backstory and obviously the backstory gives a lot of weight and a lot of you know potential narrative and thematic heft but it's the kind of thing like okay that already happened it's my own again personal preference in that when it comes to sequels and whatnot or prequels it just seems to bring things to a screeching halt i know what happens after this and why do i need to go back and Again, there'll be reasons for it, but, and before I go any further, I just wanted to say I'm more than happy to go on this journey when you've got John Favreau and Robert Rodriguez, and specifically Dave Filoni involved, in that Dave Filoni is somebody who has overseen large swaths of the Star Wars universe, and I've been blessed to work with somebody who has done a lot of work with Dave and the Star Wars franchise and i hear only great and wonderful things that he is just he's the guy that you want overseeing this corner of the universe and invested creative so i'm on this journey fully even if there are things i wonder about and worry about i have complete faith that uh, it's going to go somewhere interesting all right on to number three three the blessing and the curse of quiet so obviously there is a lot of time at the beginning of the episode where it's really quiet we're not hearing a lot of dialogue if any we're seeing a lot and we're hearing noise but it allows us to focus on the visuals that are in front of us and it allows us to enter this world that we already know from the original trilogy and it's almost as if there are in its own way announcing hey you might not have liked the prequels or the newer films and we know that a lot of people were really unhappy with the way that the final trilogy played out but we're not tapping into that we're tapping into that beloved trilogy we're showing you the cartage of Jabba the Hutt's little floating party barge and we're showing you the Sarlacc and that's the story um that we're going to be tapping into and obviously answers the immediate question of how boba fett survived and you get this rebirth moment of him bursting through the sand but the downside of leaning into this quiet is that it's really ostentatious by a director and a writer and producers It calls attention to itself. And when you become aware of that, that they're doing something, it's like starting a film with a really long single shot. You reach a certain point and you're like, okay, I get it that this is the thing you're doing, but now I'm noticing the thing that you're doing rather than actually being immersed in the story. It's a delicate balance, but it threatens to pull the viewer out. And it also risks, frankly, being boring. My family, who also all love Star Wars, my wife and my son, both bored. They wanted it to move on. It just felt like it went on a little bit too long. But it was an interesting choice. Again, I'm on board with whatever they're choosing to do, but because I'm so story oriented, I want the story to happen rather than spending too much time just being carried along in the visuals that I want people to start talking. But again, that's me. Four. The humbling of the protagonist. So, this was some very interesting story work that they did here. In that, if there's anything that we know about Boba Fett, is that he's a badass, that he's dangerous. And we've learned more about Mandalorians, thanks to the Mandalorian. And how do you deal with a character who's supposed to be that incredibly capable right out of the gate if you want to humanize him? and as we'll talk about later explore his personal code and make it seem like other people stand a chance against him you have to humble him which is what they've done so it starts off he's almost dead we have the jaw taking his armor creating a sort of mini side quest where he has to get all of that armor back and then but then later he ends up getting beaten by the group of tuscans And on the plus side, again, it allows us to see, okay, he's coming from this place that he needs to rise from, which is good. I was a little frustrated personally that the fight, the way it was staged, it's one thing for Boba Fett to be physically weak. He is, he's recovering from nearly dying, but he's doing things that you don't associate with Boba Fett and A Mandalorian. He's doing dumb off balance lunging attacks he's not being tactical it is no longer about him being physically weak it's about him making poor choices and it undercuts the character which i didn't really understand why they were going down that path he could still lose while being really smart although and again it does establish that he can't beat everyone and we know that he's doing this when he's barely alive And so it opens up the door to, okay, what is he going to be capable of at full strength? And obviously we see later in the episode, even a partially functional Boba Fett is still pretty deadly. It is a little frustrating, again, to see him not so much be weak as be unwise. And we saw that even more humbling later on that he is taking all kinds of shots when those, when he's attacked by the soldiers with their electronic shields. Interestingly enough, it raises the question, although, and I do like that they're not spelling it out for us. We're left with that question. Is this the other delegation that the mayor's majordomo referred to? That said, again, tactically, why on earth is Boba Fett blasting these shields with one of his mini missiles when it's very easy to predict, okay, that's not going to end while well. you have all these shields around you. It's going to blast back on you. It seemed a little bit of a cheap, dramatic moment, one which, again, undercuts what we think about Boba Fett and his tactics, which is not something we associate with Mandalorians, again, since this show is coming off of, hence being spun off of, The Mandalorian. So, again, some interesting choices there. I like the humbling. I don't necessarily like how they are depicting him when it comes to his military prowess and uh, abilities when it comes to when he gets into hand-to-hand combat since there's probably going to be a lot of it we want to think of him as smart five your protagonist has a code So this is a common trope in stories. And when I say trope, often it can feel dismissive when people talk about tropes. But tropes really are just story devices, which are familiar shorthand for how we tell stories because they are useful and effective ways to tell stories. And so your protagonists, particularly ones who go on heroes' journeys, they have a code which we either infer or better. We get some pieces of it being articulated so that we understand the rules they live by so that we know when they are being tested. And so in the defining of Boba's code, it's all over this episode, right? He will not kill the two Gamorrean guards. And of course, that's immediately rewarded because they help him in the fight. But this is going to have to get tested because it was so immediately rewarded That can't happen every time. We're going to have to see that his loyalty and his softness are going to get him into trouble. We're going to have to see he and Fennec continuing to disagree about how he should approach this and how Fennec is being... At least described to us as somebody who is far more intense and far more willing to use physical violence. But so he's going to be tested. He is going to have to hold true and probably pay a, a price for that. He intends to rule with respect and not fear. And that's a longer road, a harder journey. And again, it's going to have to get tested. It's actually going to get tested in the next episode, but I'll get to that later. We also get the robot. I think is, he is a 8D8, who is suggesting torture. And Boba says, and 8D8 is saying, you have to project strength in tattooing. It's the nature of this world. And Fennec is talking about having to learn their ways, project strength, get carried around in a litter. And this is Again, he is being verbally tested by the people who are around him saying, you can't be this way, Boba Fett, and he's sticking to his guns. And again, he's immediately rewarded for this, but that is going to have to get tested. And again, I'll get to more of that in a little bit. That said, it is announced loud and clear Boba is willing to kill. We see him after being beaten nearly senseless. He does kill one of the people who attack him on the street, or at least we assume so since he blasts and then there's just a hole in the wall. Anyway, so it established that this is something he will resort to when he has to, and we'll get into this more in a moment, but when they deserve it and when he's been provoked. Of course, they have now captured one of these people and he says, I want this person alive. And, but now he's going to say he's not going to torture. And you just know in, in the second episode that they're going to need information from this guy as to who is trying to do this and not getting any information. And Fennec and others are saying, this is where torture is really handy. And it's going to be really frustrating for Boba Fett because he doesn't want to do that. And he doesn't want to cave into their demands. So what does he do with that? That'll be a central conflict, one episode conflict, but a central conflict. When you state your code this overtly and this quickly, that he will rule with respect, not with fear, that there are going to be times in the story where fear would be much more effective in the immediate short term, but he can't do that. Like for your hero to be heroic, for your protagonist to be the one that we empathize with and maybe sympathize with. When he says this is his code, we will hold him to true account. If he doesn't live up to that code, we will think less of them. And that's not why we watch a story, certainly a story like this one. And so he's going to have to stick to his code. And obviously Mandalorians have very strong codes. And this is his personal articulation of it. And he's going to have to stick to it, even when it's not going to be easy to do so. That'll be interesting to see how they play with that. Six. Six. Fennec and the clash with tone. So Fennec is introduced as a master assassin. That's her whole backstory, but this is more of a family show on Disney plus. Yeah, it's aimed at a, an older audience, but you can hear it in the music, the tone and the feel that this is a little more family friendly. She can't be running around just killing people. And so they're going to lean into that where she is going to chafe against Boba's desire to rule with respect and not fear. And we'll get to see some give and take that there'll be times when Boba resorts to using violence in part because Fennec encourages him to do. It won't be torture because he said he won't do that. But there'll be moments where they're being attacked and they're up against it and there isn't a nonviolent answer. But on the flip side that we're going to see Boba Fett rub off on on Fennec in that she will realize that violence isn't always the answer, that her respect for Boba Fett will grow in that she'll see some of the wisdom in what his approach is to things. That said, we because she is an assassin, and this is the first episode, and we have to establish that she is willing to go down a violent path in a way that Boba Fett is not, While at the same time, keeping it family friendly, she goes on that long chase and she gets it down to two people. Of course, they are both masked so that they are dehumanized to some degree. And of course, they were, it was an unprovoked attack. And so you've built up this account where it's okay, there's permission to kill this person. And then, of course, they handle it a bit like a joke in that she's threatening them both, and then she gets the weapon, and she just shoves that one. And we don't see that character die. He doesn't get stabbed. We hear his little scream, and we assume that when he landed that he died, but we don't know that. And so that's how they're handling her violence, because tonally, her being just a cold-blooded assassin wouldn't fit the overall feel of this. So it's going to be an interesting dance that they are doing with that character moving forward. Seven Seven. exploring a corner of the universe. So obviously we're going to be spending a fair bit of time with the Tuscan Raiders, at least in the backstory, and we're going to learn more about them. And we already got some of that in the Mandalorian, which I think I wonder People really liked the glimpse that we got in The Mandalorian. The question is, did that feedback encourage them to shape the story this way? And are we going to be intrigued enough to know a lot about these people? So far, I'm intrigued, absolutely. But, but and I, I do again wonder and worry about pieces of this in that when you have a protagonist like Boba Fett or any protagonist really, They have to go through the story changing the people around them. That's what protagonists do. That's why they're the protagonists of the story. If you end up writing a story and no one changes when they come into contact with your character as they themselves are changing, but other characters are changing people more, that person, that character really should be the protagonist. Anyway, so by Boba Fett coming into contact with this culture, he's going to have to have an impact on it. And I I did find it interesting. We're getting some complexity here where, you know, this idea of the or these clearly it's a rites of passage that these kids who live in this very harsh existence, they are that, that the Tuscans end up finding people and the kids have to beat them up because, again, that's part of their rites of passage to learn how to fight and how to deal with the harshness of this world. But anything we learn about the Tuscans now it it ripples back and alters our understanding about what we saw I, I just remember being a little kid seeing what were then the sand people and wondering and fearing like one of my most palpable nightmares as a child was when the, the sand people were attacking luke and that just got into my head because they were so scary and so strange Anyway, this is going to alter our understanding of that, and I I find that to be interesting, but I wonder about the impact of things like that. But also, I do wonder, if we're going to spend so much time in this world, investigate sections of the Star Wars universe that we have visited before, are we getting enough that's new? Are we getting enough that's novel and interesting? At one point, at what point might we tire of learning about Tuscan Raiders. At what point do we not want to know anymore? Do we want to get to something? I don't have an answer to that. It's just something I think about when we're spending some time here with them. Also, we're going to end up with that dynamic of give and take that that Boba Fett is going to learn to respect their ways and understand them. And they in return are going to see him and how his approach is going to have to rub off on them in some way, shape, or form. Again, he's the protagonist. He's going to have to change the people around them. And is it going to be that don't go and get random people and just beat them up? That's not fair and that's not kind. And then the Tuscan Raiders are going to follow that. Is their culture going to be irrevocably altered by having come into contact with Boba Fett and his approach on things? I don't know, but that's a prototypical story design. There's going to have to be some give and take here, and we've already seen it. In that, at the end, you have the leader handing him the water. Okay, you are letting our child come across as a hero, and I know full well that this child did not do that, killed this creature, but I appreciate your approaching it that way. Again, so there's going to be some give and take back and forth. So I'll be very curious to see what that impact ultimately is and, and where they go with that. Eight. Eight. The Rodian who rats him out. So I always find it interesting when it comes to how the depiction of certain characters in a story to essentially, as I mentioned earlier, give us permission for bad things to happen to them. So he rats out Boba Fett, who only wants to free them both, and he has a choice in that moment, and he rats him out, and that gives us, it inclines us to think, okay, we don't care what happens to this guy. And... The This is all about the tone of the show and the characterization of Boba Fett, that we're going to see this happen over and over again, this, okay, an accounting of this is why this character deserves to die. And it's a very hard balance to strike when you're talking about a bounty hunter who works with an assassin that... Violence is a part of his world and a part of what we expect out of him. And, but again, like people are going to have to deserve it whenever he dishes out any pain. So Boba Fett is going to, he's going to resist killing. He told Fennec to bring that person back alive and he's going to get tested along these lines. But ultimately, again, family show they're trying to soften Boba Fett. He apologizes to the dog, the massive, the dog-like creature. He offers to rescue the Rodian. He doesn't hit the kid when he tosses the kid onto the ground. All of these things are, again, this is an overt display of Boba Fett's personal code. Is this the kind of code that you would imagine Boba Fett had when we met him in the original trilogy? Again, bounty hunter, works with an assassin. Not really. But again, this is the tone that they're choosing to use for the show. And as if that wasn't all enough, that when Boba Fett is talking with the Rodian when they're chained up just before the monster attack and Boba Fett's complaining and then the Rodian ends up yelling at him in his Rodian language and ultimately making us feel like, oh, you deserve what's coming to you. and just a, a weird thing to point out but it's also a little bit uncomfortable in that just in the world of star wars the stormtroopers slash clones and robots work is that you can have mass carnage without feeling really guilty about it again that's part of you know being a franchise that also appeals to kids that there's death everywhere but it doesn't really look like death and then in this moment it's a pretty intimate death that the rodian experiences but it's okay to do that to an alien in a way where if it were someone more humanoid they might resist showing what they showed. And it's just an interesting aspect of this. I guess the equivalent of a Star Trek red shirt would be exactly like the Rodian, a an alien who is not kind to our protagonist who, you know, brings his fate upon himself. Those characters you can kill off, doesn't matter. It's uh, just an interesting way for the writers and producers to have death in the world, but not have it be so off-putting and troubling that some older kids can't watch it with their parents. Nine. Defining your story world with the rule of three. So I love this whole sequence, not so much because the sequence itself was entertaining, but there was just so much information to glean that when we have the three people who are coming as supplicants to Boba Fett and his role in having taken over the Hutt Empire, the first one that comes through is the, I think it's an Aqualish, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, And it's handled with humor. Humor is a part of this world where the alien offers the money and gives a speech. And Boba Fett just sits there listening to it and then finally says, did you catch any of that? And she returns something about friendship and him saying that, well, we really need a protocol droid. All very humorous, and this is a part of the tonal approach. This is very Disney when it comes to Star Wars. And again, family-friendly. Then we move on to the Trandoshan, and it's such an interesting dynamic here where we have uh, Boba Fett say, well, I used to work for him. And so there's a connection there. Always pay attention when they bring this stuff up. Clearly it's going to be used later. And we have him saying, may you never leave Mossaspa." Espa. As soon as they, you address the issue of leaving Mossaspa, Espa, they're going to have to talk about leaving Mossaspa. Espa. This is going to have to be perhaps an aspect of the story moving forward. We even had a comment later on in the episode from the backstory where Boba Fett is saying that if we can get to Anchorhead, I can get us off-world. So you're talking about off-world, that Tatooine is not the be-all, end-all. And you have to wonder, is this where the season's going to end with Boba Fett leaving Tatooine and leaving someone else in control of this area or letting them run themselves? That'll be an interesting thing to see unfold. But then the third supplicant or non-supplicant this time, the twilight, the mayor's majordomo, clearly a source of conflict, but they do soften it somewhat by saying, he's supposed to pay me, and Phoenix saying, shall I kill him? And of course, a reiteration of the code, no, you can't kill him. And of course, on his way out, the major Domo says a delegation will be coming in the near future. And again, as I mentioned before, are we meant to believe that the people who attack them in the street, that is the quote unquote delegation. Very interesting way to set up this scene that all three of them are important in their own way, tonally narratively providing conflict very well-shaped scene, and it's the law of three. You have to follow the rule or law of three. You don't have one person come in and be a supplicant. Two, not quite enough. You need three, and they all need to serve a different purpose. Beautifully done. Ten. Small pieces of the world. Just some other things that I noticed that I just have tucked into the back of my head when it comes to as the story unfolds. I'm very fascinated to see what they're going to do with Garcia Whip in that this is going to be a relationship over the course of the story. Is she bad? Is she good? Is she going to be a potential love interest? She pays her tribute way too easily. What's up with her? We're meant to wonder. It seems like they might toy with some flirtation there. She may seem like she's good, but then she ends up having to appease the mayor too, and she's going to be caught between those two things very interesting to see what they end up doing with that character. Also the Nikto aliens from the bag story. Clearly we're going to explore that as to who these people are, who they work for, what do they want and how that's going to affect the present day story. So these are the things that I'm paying attention to and really looking for clues in the second episode as to precisely where they're going to be going with this Eleven. no magic now i'm very curious this is one of the issues when you step into this story world of star wars into this universe where we know there is magic the force is there and we know a lot about it and to tell a story without the force is to have something missing an audience will feel that it is missing the mandalorian show worked in part because one baby yoga is incredibly cute By the way, I don't want to call him Grogu because Grogu sounds to me like a hair product that you would use if you're going bald. But baby yoga, impossibly cute. But he also had abilities. And so the force and the possibility of using the force and the wielding of it is a part of that story world. And so it felt very familiar to us. It's comforting in its own way. And so it'll be interesting If we're going to be having an entire story, granted, it's not going to be very long. It's only going to be seven episodes, but no force at all, no Jedi, no Sith, no lightsabers, nobody choking anybody else, no invisible force blast, none of that. It's an interesting choice, a bold one. I am very curious to see how audiences react to this. Is it enough just to have Boba Fett? a character we don't know incredibly well and with actors that we may not that we don't know particularly well i know ming Nowen from shield and she's fine serviceable in the role the oh, i'm talking myself in circles and i'm running out of time here but just pointing out without having the force in the story it is fundamentally missing one of the foundational pieces of the star wars universe and it's an active choice And I just wonder, like, part of doing it this way is to find out what the appetite is out there for stories like that. And I, too, am interested to see if, like, people are just willing to go with that or if they're going to be ultimately screaming for more Jedi Sith stuff. But maybe Obi-Wan is going to be enough for that and they can partition things off and have everyone have their own little cordoned off areas of the universe. And some of the stories uh, have the Force in it and some of them don't. 12 the book of boba fett now this is going to be super quick super short i just wanted to plant this seed right now why is it called the book of boba fett is someone ultimately going to write this story within the story world who's writing it why is it a story worth telling and what i can't shake right now is this idea that they're going to pull a road warrior And that the story of Boba Fett is going to be written and shared by the, maybe the Tuscan Raider kid who ends up growing up and sharing the story of Boba Fett. I don't know. I I just maybe reading way too much into the idea of the book of Boba Fett why do they call it that? Why is it a book? And if they're leaning into that, who's writing it? Who's meant to read it? What story are they telling? I'll be very interested to see if they do anything with that or if I'm just out of my mind. 13. Predictions. As I always do at the end of these things, I can't help but predict based off of the narrative threads that they give us where they might be going. And it's interesting, you have to factor in the fact that it's only seven episodes. So it's really short and the episodes themselves are very brief. I was expecting it to be an hour long show and it was what 35 minutes when you cut off all of the very cool credits where you get to see all the uh, pre-production art, but they can't tell too massive of a story. It's maybe around four hours, which is still, it's a healthy amount of time, but there's only so much you can do, particularly since they have the divided storyline, and if they're at all balanced at all, it's like a movie and a movie, two hours each. And so in the backstory storyline, now that he's earned some respect with the Tusken Raiders, he is probably going to try to maybe help them or, or, and have them help him, and he's going to want to get his hands on his Mandalorian armor again. Now, they can't make too big of a deal about that because it'd be too much overlap with The Mandalorian show. He, obviously, The Mandalorian, he was earning his so that he could make his new armor. This is about Boba Fett getting his back, but it'll be interesting. That's a quest for him as he's building his relationship with the Tuskens, with the kid and the leader, and it's got to be connected to the people who were attacking the old man at the house. That's got to be a major factor in what Boba Fett is doing there and it's really unclear at this point and I don't know if they're going to clear it up in the next episode or if it was just really strong narrative convenience it's unclear why the kid brings him over there to see these raiders why he would even know that they were there at that time because then there's a time cut when they get to the place where they're going to be digging up the water things and so it seems like there's intent to go there and have Boba Fett see this i, I it was very weirdly staged and the timing of it is odd and convenient but anyway that said the fact that boba fett has now seen these people we have seen these people it's a problem that's going to have to be dealt with in parallel with him getting his hands on his armor and then in the current storyline, we're going to have to find meeting this mayor. We are going to assume that he's behind the attack. Maybe he's even bold enough, or she, we don't know. He's bold enough to say, yes, that was me. I wanted to see what I was up against. But certainly part of that whole storyline is going to be, do we torture or not torture the person that Fennec captured so we can get information about who sent these people? You just have to wonder. It's like they're going to want to torture and then... Boba Fett's going to find some way of outsmarting him or tricking him into giving up some information. Anyway, we might get our first hints uh, as to what Boba Fett dealt with on his rise to prominence and how it's connected to the problems that he's experiencing now. Again, hints about, okay, this mayor and these people who are attacking the house, are they somehow connected, related? You can't wait forever to drop those hints and that we only have six more episodes, so we'll see. And you know in the end i'm not really sure yet where they're going we know what some of the points of conflict are and we have established the characters in the world episode two is really going to tell us how the rest of the story is going to unfold and frankly i like not knowing yet enough work was done in those 35 minutes you don't want to overpack it and overstuff it and so episode two will more clearly outline everything that we need to know when it comes to what our expectations are for the remainder of the series. Okay, so that's it for this week. Went a little bit longer than I wanted to and expected to, but that tends to be what happens. I end up getting on a ramble and it just keeps on going. So... If there's one thing that I could ask of you, if you made it to this point in the episode, it is to spread the word about this podcast. If you learned anything interesting, if you heard anything that made you see the episode in a new and interesting way, tell other people who are fans of this show and of Star Wars to check it out and I will see you here next week. I'll be covering the rest of this season and where we go from there. I covered Wheel of Time. You can check out those episodes. I will be covering House of the Dragons when that ends up hitting and whatever else, uh, whatever other shows strike my fancy. But for now, it's all Star Wars. It is all about the fat Cast. So hope you enjoyed and I'll see you soon.